Not so long ago, in a galaxy not so far away, a group of high schoolers set out to create a podcast. I'm your host, Lucy Gilchrist, and in honor of May the 4th, this episode of Pilecast will focus on a saga of films that you have probably heard of. Welcome to our Star Wars extravaganza episode. Let's start out simple with a background and summary of the Star Wars films and franchise brought to you by Spencer Jones. Star Wars, A New Hope, the Western space opera that quickly became a household name after its release on May 25, 1977, was the start to something more monumental than even the actors realized at the time. 44 years later, the series is now one of the highest grossing franchises of all time. The original Star Wars trilogy, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, star a young boy named Luke Skywalker in a battle for the galaxy. He gets hurled into a massive intergalactic conflict with a dictatorship known as the Empire and ends up aiding an insurrectionist group simply known as the Rebels. In case you somehow have never seen the films, to put it simply, the Rebels are the good guys and the Empire are the bad guys. However, the dichotomy is not quite that simple, as there are plenty of morally gray characters and characters moving from one side of the coin to the other. Basically, if you boil it down, the Empire are just space Nazis, and the Rebels, on the other hand, are, well, exactly that. A group of Rebels fighting against a tyrannical regime. The original trilogy was amazing for their time. The special effects that were done for these space scenes aren't anything amazing compared to what we have now, but at the time, they were something never before seen. They used stop motion and still plates to create fantastical worlds using the technology they had. Through this, they were able to create massive landscapes with limited technology and budget. A New Hope was an instant hit. People would line up around the block to see it for the fourth time that day. The original trilogy sparked creativity and dreams for many. There were promises to follow them up, but they didn't come for quite some time. After the conclusion of the main trilogy, rather than expanding more into the future of the galaxy that had been built, they opted to focus on the world of the past which would spawn the famous, or rather infamous, Star Wars prequels. Now, these movies have been seen as quite bad. However, I will argue that they're memorable. Because, if we're all being honest here, who could forget characters like Jar Jar Binks? Ugh, his voice still haunts me to this day. Anyways, as I was saying, the prequels introduced a ton of new characters while also giving us some much-needed backstory on familiar faces of the franchise, such as young Darth Vader, aka Anakin Skywalker, or Obi-Wan Kenobi. The prequels also help establish how the Empire was able to take over so much of the galaxy by the time the main series happens. The main plot of the prequels tells the story of how Palpatine came to power and how Anakin, who was once a respected Jedi and general, fell to the dark side, and became the Great Vader. Of course, that's a major oversimplification of the plot, but it's really all you need to know. Trust me. Well, maybe that Anakin hates sand. That's important. Unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, these films were not received well by critics or fans, which would lead people to believe that Star Wars was done for. Or so we thought. In 2012, Disney bought the rights to Star Wars. Now, whether this was for the better or for the worse is honestly still up for debate. However, they did provide us with a new trilogy to talk about, that being the sequels to the original trilogy. 
While they are canonical sequels to the original Skywalker trilogy, these new movies produced by Disney followed a new cast of characters with a few returning faces from the original Skywalker saga. New characters such as Rey and Kylo Ren were introduced as the main protagonist and antagonist respectfully, while some characters from the original Star Wars such as Han Solo, Chewbacca, Leia, and eventually Luke Skywalker would return as side characters that would eventually get closing arcs to their characters. The Disney sequels were to serve as a conclusion to the main Star Wars saga that was started all the way back in 1977. They were supposed to tell their own stories while also closing any plot points that were left open from the original series. Whether Disney did a good job of doing that is, again, up for debate, but the main point is that they were able to give the main Star Wars saga that had been going on for 30 years at that point a proper end, while also leaving room for new interpretations of the franchise. And that, mine Froons, is where we end our story for the time being. Of course, there is still plenty of Star Wars media out there to talk about, such as the books, the Clone Wars show, Rebels, Mandalorian, and soon-to-be nine more TV shows. However, those are topics for a possible future episode. Even though Star Wars has had its highs and lows, at the end of the day, the dream people called crazy has changed the lives of millions of people for almost three generations. And I have no doubt will continue to do so no matter where they decide to take the franchise. Star Wars has become more successful than anyone ever imagined. Part of this success is due to the compelling villains and their stories and the never-ending struggles between dark and light. Although villains drive the plot forward, lightsabers often steal the show. I'm sure everybody has dreamt of owning their very own, and you've probably wondered how they work. Let's hear from Katie Fisher about how kyber crystals work and how they power the lightsaber. You are a youngling in training with the Jedi, and today is the day that your class goes to the planet known as Elum. This planet is known across the galaxy for having the highest concentration of these geodes of anywhere, which is made more amazing by the fact that most all planets in the galaxy have never even grown one. Your classmates are jittering with excitement, whispering about how they want a cool color. You are guided down into the depths of the caves where you see huge crystal formations, none of which are of the kyber variety. Your master explains that you must go into the depths of the caves by yourself to find the kyber crystal that resonates to your soul. You hear some kids had to swim through streams or blast through walls or even fight off creatures, but you, your crystal was right in front of you. You feel the harmony between you and the crystal, your frequencies lining up perfectly. When you get back, you are instructed to put the crystal inside of your blade hilt. After days of work and months of study, the construction of your lightsaber is complete. You can finally ignite your blade. It's beautiful. And it's powerful. Lightsabers have always been at the heart of Star Wars. And at the heart of a lightsaber is the kyber crystal. In the current canon of Star Wars, canon being officially recognized within the truth of the Star Wars franchise, kyber crystals are very personal to the Jedi using them, each having a unique bond with its wielder. 
However, the color of a kyber crystal is generally not as personal, blue and green being the most common. Blue kyber crystals find their way to more combat-oriented Padawans, while greens tend to be more mindful and patient Jedi. But these are more loose rules, because lightsabers could also be purple, yellow, orange, and even pink. But little is known as to why these colors are so rare or what they mean. It can be assumed that purple lightsabers come from wielders pulling from the light and dark side of the Force. Besides the fact that the only reason they exist is Samuel L. Jackson insisted on having one. You might notice that the second most seen color in all of Star Wars is not naturally found. This is because kyber crystals are inherently light. For a Sith to be able to use a kyber crystal, they have to literally make them bleed. By pouring all their negative emotions into the crystal, a Sith can turn the crystal red. This is why nearly all Sith characters in Star Wars have red lightsabers. There is only one way to get a crystal back from the dark side. You can purify a red crystal to make it white. This is how Ahsoka Tano got her iconic white dual sabers. Kyber crystals aren't only used for lightsabers, though. They can be used for lots of other powerful weapons. For example, the energy source of the Death Star. This wasn't always how kyber crystals worked, though. In the now non-canon Star Wars Legends, kyber crystals were not the only way to power a lightsaber. Any number of gems could be the material to power one. The color of the saber would reflect the material on the inside. The kyber crystal being the most powerful, which led the other sabers to fall into obscurity, which is why in the main series you would have seen fewer of the more cool, unique colors. I think that there is some wasted opportunity with the kyber crystals. By limiting the morals of the crystal, it ruins some potentially dramatic character moments. Imagine for a moment that I made Star Wars. You get to the battle of Mustafar and Revenge of the Sith. You've just watched Anakin Skywalker get manipulated into joining the Lord Palpatine. You have allowed this Dark Lord to twist your mind until now. Until now you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. Betraying his master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I have brought peace, freedom, justice and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. You see the ends of Anakin's lightsaber fade into a more purple hue. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. As the purple starts to move towards the center, the ends grow a bright red. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! You see the last sparks of blue from the center of his saber, consumed by the raging red. You were my brother, Anakin! I loved you. He's no longer Anakin Skywalker. 
like his own morals and faith in the Jedi Order, the blue of his saber was consumed by the dark side. Lightsabers are loved by everyone. They may not be the center of many arguments, but there is an ongoing, highly controversial debate about what trilogy is the best, the original movies, the prequels, or the sequels. Let's get a look at this debate from Sabin Schulfer. Okay, what's our game plan? How are we going to start? I, I thought he was going to start with you. Okay. Maybe you could start with one of us going, da, da. All three of us. Okay. Um. And then it would be you, and then you go and do your hosting. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Piocast Star Wars Extravaganza debate segment. We've got an awesome debate planned out for you today that our participants and I had a whole lot of fun putting together. Sandy High School's very own speech and debate team member, Parker Myers, actually helped produce this segment for us to make sure it'd be a fun one for you all. I, Sabin Schulfer, hosted it. Our debate was focused on which of the three Star Wars trilogies is the best. The original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, or the sequel trilogy. Assuming that you've seen them all, you might know about some of the fan hate that has been held towards the sequel trilogy, and how some have even gone as far to say that they want it removed from the Star Wars canon. And trust me, that got covered on our debate more ways than one. But anyway, we had a whole lot of fun putting this together and kept it pretty lighthearted with our debate being held in a parliamentary styled debate with each side only getting a minute to defend and rebuttal their arguments in each round. I'll go ahead and play it for you now. Hope you enjoy the chaos. All right, guys, we are here for our Star Wars debate representing the prequel trilogy. We have Parker Myers here. Hey, Representing the original trilogy, we have Keaton Myers. That's your boy right here. Let's go. And representing the sequel trilogy, we have Elijah Alamua. You guys, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be completely honest here. I I just can't fight this uphill battle. I, I can't. There's just no there's no points I can make. I I can't defend this. I, I've been preparing for a week. I you know, Kyle Kylo Ren was it was so he's cool, but I, 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 I just can't, I can't defend it. Oh, well, it looks like we've uh, lost our debater for the sequel trilogy due to a mental breakdown. Uh, looks like he won't be joining us today, guys, but... Uh, Elijah has gone into a mental breakdown. <laughs> Apparently, oh. Elijah will not be uh, joining us today. That's okay. I don't think his uh, argument had its chance either way. No, no, it did not. Nope. Um, well, if you two are ready, I guess we'll just make it a debate between the uh, original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, um, the two that stand a chance against each other, in my opinion. If you two are ready, we can kick this off here. All right. Um, I'm ready whenever you are. All right. So we are going to let the original trilogy start off with their opening argument first. Keaton Myers, representing the original trilogy here. You have a minute on the clock whenever you're ready. All right. So uh, I would like to start this off by it, it's the original trilogy. Obviously, it is the most well known for like just being the best all around. 
it kickstarted everything that the prequels were. That you can't have the prequels without the originals because they they just wouldn't have been made. And the originals have like a new hope, which was groundbreaking for its time. Obviously, uh, Empire Strikes Back obviously is one of known as one of the best Star Wars movies of all time, and my personal favorite, uh, Return of the Jedi. They're all amazing. You you can't say Star Wars without saying A New Hope or any one of those three movies. You can't say, oh, I only want to watch Revenge of the Sith or Attack of the Clones, which was awful. Uh, it, it was it was not good. So the same thing Five with seconds the left. Phantom Menace, not a great movie. Revenge of the Sith carried that trilogy. And that is the end of your opening argument. More attacking the other side than I expected. Really? really? Um, so, Parker Myers here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defending um, the prequel trilogy in this debate. Sure. You have one minute for both your o- opening argument and any rebuttal you want. Could starting. I get a bit of an off-time roadmap real quick, just where I'm going to go with this? Um, quickly, I'll just be going over uh, Affirmation's points about the uh, original trilogy and the... the things that they brought up against me. And then I'm going to go into a bit of the prequel trilogy. All right, your time starts now. All right, so the first point is basically that the original trilogy is well known. Right, this is the, this is the movies that we all know. Sure, that might, okay, we, we might know the movies. That's what brought them up. Whatever, whatever. Here's the thing about that, though. Sure, maybe in our world, okay, the original trilogies were the things that caused the prequels. But without the prequels, okay, without those explanations of how this happened, who Darth Vader was, all right, how, who, their father and son, all these different things would not be explained without the prequels. The prequels is integral to the story of the originals because it, it just makes one fluid story. Okay, they also talked about bad movies. That's first of all, that's totally subjective. Uh, Art, uh, Revenge of the Sith by the, by far is the best movie out of any of the Star Wars movies. Okay, and that's objective fact. And now moving into prequels, the memes. Okay, this is what we really need to address here. Okay, without the memes of the prequels, okay, the memes of the prequels are the most well-known memes of literally left. any cultural uh, like significance in any movie, any show, anything. That prequels is your time. are superior. All right, ending his opening argument with the fact that the memes carry the prequels. Um, all right, back to the original trilogy with Keaton Myers. You have a minute whenever you're ready for another argument and rebuttal. All right, so you said the, the, the thing that is most important about the prequels is the memes. There's a reason. It's because the prequels are a joke. They're all jokes. That is the reason those are there. And the, the original trilogy came first. Because it is the better trilogy. You don't need the prequels. Otherwise, they would have made the prequels first. You are, like, everyone saw the original trilogy. They didn't need the the prequel trilogy until when they came out in, what, the 90s? They started in the 90s, right? Everyone lived their whole lives watching the original trilogy without seeing the prequels. And they enjoyed every single one of those movies and gave them all success without the prequel movies. Obviously, you don't need the prequels to understand the original trilogy. If, to, to say that you need those when the, other, when the original trilogy came out first is Five seconds so left. dumb. It makes absolutely no sense, and it, it just it doesn't work. All right. Really good opening light line there, might I say. Back to Parker Myers with the prequel trilogy. 
uh, for another argument and rebuttal. Just jump right back into it. Time starts now. All right, so we talked about it being all a joke. First of all, this whole all a joke thing memes, all right, there's a lot of subtlety. All right, in the prequels. The prequels, in fact, when they first came out, yes, maybe some people didn't like them. There's a bit of apprehension against them, but they have only risen in popularity, okay? If people didn't want the prequels, if people were uh, content with seeing the uh, original trilogy, why did they make so much money in the box office then, huh? Opponent? Why did they make, why did so many people go watch it, huh? Huh? I don't know. Maybe because they were good enough to go see and because they provided valuable information valuable information to the original trilogy, all right? Let's talk about Ewan McGregor for a second. Ewan McGregor is a gem, all right? And without the without him, all right, without the prequel trilogy, we wouldn't have Ewan McGregor, okay? He wouldn't be what he is today without the prequel trilogy. He is, you, he's, I would say, really, the, the cornerstone, okay, of up. all of Star Wars is Ewan McGregor. He's behind everything, every single part of it. And that is your time. Might I add here that uh, after the sequel trilogy has come out, which we mentioned before uh, isn't even worth debating in our opinion, the prequels have definitely risen in popularity due to them. I feel that as if they weren't as loved before, but after our recent trilogy, uh, we would much rather take something like that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we are going back to Parker Myers now here with his closing statement for the prequel trilogy. Um Whenever you are ready, your time can start. All right. And I actually like to talk about a little bit of the sequels, because what do we see when we look at ratings of the sequels? Okay, When we look at Rotten Tomatoes of the sequels, we see 90%. Even my opponent can agree. That is blasphemy and ridiculous that the sequels are getting that good of reviews. So that means that these sort of ratings of the you know first prequel movies are are just as ridiculous as the ratings of the sequel movies. Yes, Attack of the Clones might have gotten a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Does that matter? No, because they are objectively, it is objectively a fantastic movie that provides a lot of nuance, really, to the Star Wars genre, all right? And without that, we wouldn't have Clone Wars the show, all right? Without, we wouldn't have Rebels, all right? The show, all right? We're, we're forgetting that we're not just talking about movies here, all right? We're talking about all the prequel things before the original trilogy, okay? That's thousands of years. That, that even includes the Old Republic and every single thing with that, including video games. Including video games. Right? Your time has ended. Alright, I don't know how much we can take of the closing statement saying that the, everything of a prequel counts. We're mainly talking about the movies here. That was never addressed, alright? Prequels. Well, we'll see how Keaton Myers trilogy? handles it with his final closing argument for the original trilogy. Time starts whenever you're ready. Okay, so I you said that the prequels smashed at the box office, right? That is purely because of what the legacy of the original trilogy set up for it to be. Everyone was hyped because they loved the original trilogy so much. Then they watched it. They watched The Phantom Menace. Jar Jar Binks was awful. And so they were like, oh, well, that's why we have to make the memes because that's the only good part about this is the jokes that it is. Okay. And you said, and even the sequels smashed at the box office because it is a Star Wars movie. Those are awful movies. So you bringing up box office ratings and box office uh, gross income, it is... It, it, you said it yourself. The sequels are a... They don't matter. And so they also have smashing box office numbers. Same with the prequels. Doesn't mean it's a good movie. The sequels are awful. 
They still made good money at the box office. The prequels are awful, except for Revenge of the Sith, but they still made good money at the box office. I'd like to remind the viewers of Ewoks. And that is I the think end. I think that's a good thing to remind the viewers of. And that is the end of our time for both sides of the argument here. Who do you think won as a viewer? Pretty close arguments here got pretty heated with both of the uh, arguments slowly just turning into attacking the other side rather than defending their own. But uh, I am excited to hear what you guys think won. Which side is better? Which side do you think is better personally, original trilogy or the prequel trilogy? Thanks for tuning in, guys. And there you have it, our Star Wars extravaganza debate segment. Hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did making it. And I kid you not, those two continued debating each other just on their own terms, not even for the segment, for a whole nother 30 minutes. I'd like to thank our participants one more time, Parker Myers, especially for him helping produce this segment, Keaton Myers, and Elijah Alamula. Until next time, may the Force be with you. If there's one thing we know about Star Wars fans, they'll never agree on anything. Another integral part of every fandom is ships. No, not the Millennium Falcon or Boba Fett's Slave One. You know, like thinking that two characters should date, maybe putting their names together to create a ship name. Wade Fisher will tell you all you need to know about the relationships in this fandom. Star Wars, a story full of action, sacrifice, clones, space battles, but most importantly, love. Throughout all of Star Wars lore, love lingers around every corner. We see actual love like Padme and Anakin or Han and Leia, but sometimes we see love in places where the canon doesn't want us to. A ship is a canon or headcanon relationship that the fandom is rooting for. I interviewed a few willing Star Wars enthusiasts about their take on which ship is the best and why. Senior Katie Fisher. To be completely honest, I think that Finn and Poe were endgame. I think this is a really great example. Not only does the fandom really push for this ship, but even one of the actors themselves said that they felt there was more than just a friend connection. But I knew there was more. I knew there was more ships that people were expecting or are feeling within the movies. So I spoke with Landon Wesley. In my opinion, the best relationship in Star Wars is easily Obi-Wan and Anakin. You know, you see Anakin as basically Obi-Wan's kid in a way, and Obi-Wan's trained him from a young boy to become this outrageous you know powerful kid nothing comes as close as as that relationship you know there's so much heartfelt tension when anakin you know does anakin things being stupid changes sides fully forgets about obi-wan and you see how sad obi-wan is about that and how heartbroken he is to hurt his his own son in a way although this doesn't fit the typical definition of ship 
I think that the brotherly relationship that Obi-Wan and Anakin hold is surely one of the most powerful in all of Star Wars. You see it grow and fall all in front of your eyes. Now, we were getting somewhere. I was finally getting an idea of what people were looking out for in the movies. I then spoke with Spencer Jones, who has a more controversial outlook on the topic. Uh, I'd say that my favorite Star Wars ship is probably Kylo Ren and Rey because it makes the most canonical sense, in my opinion. Like, it's kind of the whole opposites attract thing, you know? And then you also get a payoff at the end of the trilogy. I think this was expected. Not only was it two characters that we kind of fell in love with over the course of the movies, but it felt like a, a, a relationship that was meant to be. I felt like I was almost there. I just needed one more outlook on which ship was the best. I spoke with Cheyenne Hutchinson on her more traditional take on the subject. I think I would have to say Princess Leia and Han Solo are my favorite Star Wars ship just because of how they interact with each other as a couple. I mean, they're the classic duo. How could you not like them, you know? Although there are more relationships in Star Wars than I can count, I feel we've made our way around the spectrum. Star Wars allows for fans to truly personalize the tone of the movies by imagining their dream ship within the universe. It harbors some of the most beloved relationships in the galaxy, whether it be two robots or two rebels fighting for a cause. Love makes its rounds in Star Wars and will continue to do so for fandoms and stories to come. I guess there is someone for every ship. Let's hear from Sydney Hill with the Piocast exit ticket. Hello there. <laughs> Sid here with your exit ticket. The month of May is National Teen Self-Esteem Month, so don't be afraid to go around and uplift some of your friends with some confidence. Even if it's just a compliment or a simple conversation, it could go a really long way. Also, of course, National Star Wars Day, hence the theme of this episode. So may the fourth be with you. As part of this special episode, I have a couple interesting facts for you. Did you know that the credits of The Phantom Menace list Jabba the Hutt as being played by himself? Hilarious. I also learned that the original Return of the Jedi ending had Luke Skywalker turning evil. What a change that would have been. That's all I got. But to end out this episode traditionally, I've got a joke for you all. What happens when Han's band shows up late? He has to sing a Han solo. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. Alright, we're done here. The backbone of every fandom includes a bit of history, arguments, theories, and maybe some shipping. And this one proves to be no different. Thank you for listening to this episode of Piocast. We'll talk to you again in two weeks for yet another. See ya. Piocast is a Pioneer Digital Media production. Our program director is Katie Fisher. Segments produced by Katie Fisher, Wade Fisher, Sydney Hill, Spencer Jones, Sabin Schulfer, and Henry Schutt. Hosted by me, Lucy Gilchrist. This episode was edited by Spencer Jones.